book of Titus chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We have been talking about authentic spiritual leadership. And we have been focusing on this point that leadership in the church is matured through relationships at home. And you'll recall that Titus was given this immense task. You were to go to the island of Crete, an island in which one of their own prophets says, verse 12, that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. You're to go to a people that is generally runs rampant, is very self-centered, has a fierce sense of self-sufficiency, and you were to help them grow and develop to understand what it means to know Christ and to grow in him, to walk in him. And I, he was sent with a specific assignment. And that is, we'll find in chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. This is just amazing what he's asked to do. He's to go to this island and he is to appoint godly leaders. But it's far more than just kind of showing up. And there's about 100 cities in the island of Crete. And it's far more than just kind of showing up and saying, oh, you guys look like you guys, you three guys here. You're going to be the elders here just because you look like you're halfway decent folks. It's more than observing. He is to set in order that word. Remember, we talked about it from last week or thought, oh, it is the idea of placing carefully, skillfully setting. We would use like the word orthodontics. It's a dentist who sets your teeth or an orthopedic surgeon is one who is going to set that broken bone or that bent limb. That is what he's to do. He's not merely to just observe and appoint, but he is actually to involve himself in the process of helping these people grow and develop where they're producing their own spiritual leaders. And by the way, that's what God intends to do in every church. He wants the church to grow and mature and develop and appoint those leaders who he will call elders. And they are to be a particular type of individual. And so what he's doing is that Paul, in writing this letter, Titus is going to carry it around as he goes from city to city. Not only will he personalize and read it, but many others will. In fact, it is God's plan because it was men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This letter is to be used because it is God's word even today. And the idea is that he would show them and show them this is a vision for godly leadership. And he spells it out, the qualities of what that looks like. He highlights the essential traits. Now, where in the world are you going to find godly leaders? Where are they developed? They're developed in the home. The home is the greatest school for spiritual leadership. And so this is what you're supposed to do. You were to go find verse six, namely, if any man is above reproach, that means there is there's no public scandal. There's he's beyond legitimate accusation. There's no handle on his life. And this is the overarching quality of leadership. Now, if you're here and you're going like, oh, boy, church leaders, you know, elders, I probably will never be one. Uh, and th- so this really doesn't apply to me. That would be actually wrong because, you see, the leaders, our leaders are to epitomize. They are to be examples of what we all aspire to. Our leaders are the ones that are supposed to not only have grown the path, but they're to show us the way. This is the way in which you walk. And so this is what he's going to do. You want to find men who are above reproach. That means there's no way that you can put a handle on their life. Where do you find leaders like this? You find them in a home. So notice what he says in verse six. He starts focusing on family life. 
Families have a way of producing the kind of leaders that churches need. And so you want a man who's above reproach. He is, like we looked at last week, the husband of one wife. He has he is literally a one woman man. He is devoted to his wife. He has a singular focus or he's not chasing around other women. He's not allowing lust around rampant in his life. He doesn't have girlfriends on the side. He is devoted to the wife and whom he's married to. And that we talked about all the implications and how does that actually happen in marriage to be a one woman man? You see, the kind of leader that a church needs, first of all, needs to learn how to be the loving leader of his wife. But he goes right on to that and he focuses then on that he also needs to be a loving leader of his children. They are to have children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. You know, what he's doing, he's saying is that what matters most is what's going on inside. And think about it. When you're buying a car, when you're buying a car, do you go and just like, whoa, look at all that chrome and look how shiny this is. And you just kind of focus on the outside. Well, let me just tell you something. Car dealers make the outside of the car look really good. And it's nice to have a nice looking car. Don't get me wrong. But far more important than how shiny it is, is what's going on inside that engine and what does that engine look like? Okay, because that's really the most important part of the car it's not whether it has, it's got little pinstripe on it or got a little chrome on it. The most important part of that car is that engine does it run well. The same is true with like electronics. You can walk into an electronics store and you see all this flashy stuff and they have special lights that go on there and it looks shiny and it just looks cool and you think I will be cool if I have this in my hand or in my home. But you know, far more important than the shiny plastic that's outside, you want to know about the components that are inside because if the components are, are worthless, or they aren't, they aren't working correctly, it doesn't matter how shiny that is, it absolutely will not work. You know, the same is true is when you consider yourself, you know, like, you know, I think God is calling me to marriage. Who should I marry? You know, nice hair, pretty eyes, that's all great, but let me tell you what's going on in the inside is most important. Emotional maturity, spiritual maturity. Do they have a handle and a grasp of life? Are they walking with God? Because it's the internal that is far more important than what you see on the external. And that is especially true with church leaders. What you're looking for are men, when it comes to elders, who are able to do and actually fulfill the role of spiritual leaders. Where are you going to find them? You start looking in their home. And so that's what he's doing. He is saying, Titus... I want you to help these men grow and develop and mature. I want you to help them set their life on straight because we all start off messed up. In fact, many of us come from homes that were probably had very little reflection of true godliness in them. Does that mean that we're just destined to kind of set into autopilot the patterns that were established in our life? Or is God able to transform our heart through Christ where we can live differently and grow and mature? I don't know about you. But I want to be God's man in my home. And his word actually tells us, what does that look like? And so he's saying, you want to have children who believe. You, you want to have a vision where your family walks with God, that they have an authentic relationship with Christ. They are trusting him as, as the savior for their sins, but they actually relate to him. They want to yield to him, follow him as Lord. And you have a wonderful opportunity for that to happen because it's, they are your disciples and they're in your home. And so he says, you want to have children who believe, who are walking with Christ, who love him, are not superficial, but there's an authentic relationship, and they're not accused of, notice what he says in verse 6, not accused of dissipation, 
That has the idea of wastefulness, one who is easily swayed to their temptations. They they just kind of are freely functioning on their own lusts and their appetite appetites. Uh, this word was also used of people that were involved in like debauchery and like drunken pagan festivals. That was dissipation, total waste. You don't want your kids wasting their life. And furthermore, he says, not accused of dissipation or the other word he used there is rebellion, disobedient to authority, whether that be parents, public officials, pastors. No, you want to cultivate a vision for godliness in the home. You want your children to walk with God. Now, I know God is the one who brings about salvation in our hearts. He did it in my heart, did it in your heart. In fact, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 1, remember that? He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. God does the choosing. But let me tell you, he uses people in the process of drawing people to his son, especially parents in their family. He uses parents. We do not want our children to waste their lives. Let me tell you something. You got a critical window and we've got a lot of young families. These first 20 years and your kid's life are critical because they are laying the foundation for the rest of their life. The trajectory of their life is pretty much going to be shaped in these first 20 years. This is not the time to bail out. In fact, you're laying a foundation. There's critical pieces. And if they are missing, they're going to show up in their life, not only as they're growing in these young years, but most certainly in the older years. I mean, if there's missing pieces like. Life in Christ, they don't have an idea of what it means to know the Lord, to pray, to serve, to enjoy God. Missing pieces like love from their family, acceptance, affirmation, affirmation, affection, uh, forgiveness. They don't have that. It's going to show up. If they don't have guidance, parents involved in giving them instruction and modeling and involvement, your kids need development and a sense of identity and, and purpose and mission and vision. And they also need the ability to discern, to know truth from error, to discern evil from good and be able to say yes to things and to say no to other things that are going to lead them astray or get them going in the wrong direction. Your kids need that. And where are they going to get it? Well, it's found in the home. And what makes for a good spiritual leader in the church, an elder? It all gets started in the framework of home. By the way. If your kids don't have some of the the things that I just talked about, it's the equivalent of sending them into a football game without the essential equipment. I mean, think about it. You just watch how hard those guys hit each other when they're playing football. Can you imagine sending your kid in there without, well, why don't you try it without a helmet today and see what happens, huh? You would take a face mask into your face. Do you know what that might feel like? It would be plumb unpleasant. Or to show up, well, you know, these shoulder pads might get in the way. We don't really need those thigh pads. Or the mouth guard, eh. We got Dennis. We'll fix you up. If you send your kid into the football game without the appropriate pads and he gets mangled, what, you, what did you expect? Huh? He wasn't equipped. You didn't give him the things that he needed. And friends, this is the time when those kids, about first 20 years, that we make these critical investments in the lives of our kids and we help them grow and develop and mature. And the guys that can do that are the ones that emerge as spiritual leaders. The guys that are successful in making these investments, these are the ones that really are demonstrating what spiritual leadership is all about. And let me just say something. I've met and known a lot of godly parents in my life. And I have met some parents that truly walk with the Lord, 
And they have given their best shot to their children, prayed for them, involved them, talked with them, loved them, cared for them, got them involved in church and youth group. And for whatever reason, their kids just, no, I'm doing it my own way. They, they kind of just put up a wall. Despite their parents' faithfulness, it's like their words and their love and their affection and their direction, it all fell on hardened hearts. God is the one who is ultimately going to be in, in charge and lead and develop. And just because you've made a godly investment is no insurance that your kids are going to walk with him. And that's, you know, really at some point when you've made your investment and your kids choose to say, hey, I'm doing life on my own. Friends, you've made your critical investment for whatever reason they chose to reject it. But on the other hand, we got to take full advantage of this opportunity. And this is very real for our church. A few weeks ago, we just talked about kind of our stated church address, life at fellowship. We need to continue to develop godly leaders. And we are actively involved in doing that. Let me just tell you some of the avenues we have. We have like fellowship families. You know what's happening in those? We are developing spiritual leaders. We have actually ministry opportunities throughout our church that not only minister to the people in here, but minister to people outside in the community as we're reaching out. What's happening? These people are developing as leaders. We've got a variety of Bible studies. We have people, women meeting with other women. We have men meeting with other men. And what's happening is they're cultivating in these discipleship relationships, godliness, giving them a vision for growth and maturity. And yes, you can absolutely be the God, the man of God he has called you to be. Now, let me give you one other avenue that we're trying to cultivate spiritual leaders. We've got something going called men's fraternity. Matt Reynolds, our associate pastor, every Wednesday night, over there in the conference room, sometimes they're eating burgers and there's a lot of food and hoopla and laughter and stuff. But you know what's going on there? These men are learning how to walk with God and to do so in their home and on their jobs. In fact, that's what they're studying. They're studying winning at work and home. And this whole fall, if you want to know what they've been doing over there, they've been focused on home relationships. How do you develop as a godly man at home? And Robert Lewis in his, this men's fraternity and his winning at work and home, uh, he, had, he had some real great insights. I'm going to give you a little window of just some of the things a lot of the guys have been going through. I mean, they've been kind of talking about this whole idea of family relationships and kind of looking at dad especially. And he, he notes and says that, you know, 74% of all dads feel like they're pretty much failing at home. They're not cutting it. They're not they're doing a poor job. And, and so basically what happens is, is many guys, they kind of have this like low-grade feeling they're not doing too well. And maybe it's, maybe it's true. Maybe they're not. But it's kind of like they just live under this burden like they just assume whatever I'm supposed to be doing, I'm not doing it. And I'm not doing a very good job. So I'm just kind of a crummy dad. OK, we're trying to head on address that. And so the great challenge for us is to to actually understand our roles as dads. So what he does, he did something that's really helpful. He actually gives these five, five types of dads, which is interesting because as I go through it, you also find it kind of corresponds to five different types of leaders. And so he starts giving these dads. The first, first dad he has is the, the absent dad. I mean, he is just flat out gone. Let me give you a statistic. 1950, 7% of the homes in America, the families, had no dad in the picture, just gone. Whether he had abandoned his family, he's in prison, he just left, he's just gone. In, ni- in 2004, you know what that statistic is? Ready? 40%. Okay? 40% of the families, these kids have no dad, zip, gone, out of the picture. 
Let me give you another type of dad that Lewis brings to mind. He says, well, there's the absent dad, but then there's the, the distant dad. This is the dad who's, you know, he's at home, does a job, but he's there, but he's not there. He's kind of like the invisible man, right? You know, he's like, he's at home, but on the TV, and he has the newspaper, and you can hardly see him. He shows up for dinner, feeds his face, goes back, passes out. Kids do some homework, go to school, get their schoolwork done. Uh, they go to bed. He's kind of watching the news, just kind of drifts off. And, and his whole life is basically that picture. He's gone. He's the distant dad. Many of you have that. Then there's the third dad. This is the demanding dad. All right. This is the one. He's the authoritarian. He's the autocrat. He runs around like a little dictator and he's just barking out orders. And he's mad and angry and he's he's making everybody upset. And he's just everybody's kind of on pins and he goes hey, it's home, you know, and he's just he's always unhappy. And he's just he's angry and he's difficult to be around and he's demanding. He's just barking out orders. He thinks he is in the military and he's the drill sergeant. And he's, his idea is to just basically throw out orders. Some of them are totally useless and insane, but whatever, he's just doing it. And, and he does it. And we're going, ha, 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 that's funny, but you're not, not if you grew up in a home like that. It's not funny, is it? Uh-uh. A lot of you are still recovering from that. And by the way, it is very easy to drift into becoming that kind of dad. It's like built into your fabric. You got this from Adam. It's called the sin nature manifest the distant dad it's the uh, it's the demanding dad but then then there's this fourth one and this one is much better this is the involved dad but there's a key problem he's visionless he's the involved and visionless dad he's he kind of shows up he may go to the practice he's at the kids games goes to the piano recital he's there he eats candy he's dinner he's, he's kind of around he's pleasant no big deal no problems there but he has no clear-cut vision for what he'd like to accomplish with his children and it all gets started because he himself doesn't have a vision for his own life. Sure, he'd like to do right, and, and he's a good guy. We like these guys. They're, they're nice, they're friendly, they're amiable, but you know what? They are directionless. They have no aim, they have no focus. They are visionless. And so they don't ever help their kids really understand what it means to walk with God. They never have those hard and difficult relationships about how to handle conflict and extend forgiveness, how to deal with members of the opposite sex, how to encourage them to do their best at school or in athletics or with their music. He's just he doesn't have a vision for that. He he wants to be involved and he is involved, but he has no vision for where he's going with his family. And that leads us to the fifth one that Lewis points out. This is the involved and the strategic dad. He actually has a plan. He is proactive and he's following it. He's got a strategy to invest in his children and he is doing it. When he reads the book of Proverbs, and he probably does pretty regularly, Proverbs 22, 6, he sees that and goes, ha ha, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Train up a child. So he's got a plan. He's got a vision. He wants to see his children walking with God. He wants to see them relating well to life, to be able to handle pressures, to deal with difficulties, to understand the, the benefits of learning how to work hard, to know how to give love and to extend forgiveness. He wants, he's got a vision for his children. But what is the vision? What is it? What, what exactly is the vision that strategic dad has that makes him different than the visionless dad? Let me make it real simple. It's the exact same vision that we have for every single person in the church. And that is to see godly parents desire to see their children be made complete, full, mature, teleos, 
perfect in Christ. That is the goal of the strategic dad. He realizes he's got these kids and they're going to be his home for about 17, 18 years. He wants to launch them off into the world, but as complete, mature, fully functional disciples of Christ. They are walking with him. They got a vision. They understand. They got a heart. That's what he's after. And so he that's what he focuses on. He's got a plan. And so if you like, say, well, let me give you just one verse. If you're saying, like, give me just one verse. They'll give me a clear plan of how do you do this in your family. I'd give you Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4 is very simple. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the dis- discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that one verse, you've got three key guiding principles. You probably want to remember these. He says, fathers, you've got to take responsibility. Let me tell you something. You know who's in charge of your kid's spiritual life? It is not that Christian school they think you're going to dump them off on. Like, well, they'll take care of that. I'll somehow pay the big tuition. And that's all done. Don't fork them over to the, well, the youth group. Ah, good thing we got some godly leaders in that youth group. Praise the Lord. They'll take care of the spiritual life for my children. When I was a youth guy for many years, when I'd have my parents meeting, I'd tell them, listen, I'm not in charge of your kid's spiritual life. And they'd all kind of be looking at me. And I'd say, you are. Listen. I'm the Flintstone vitamin to the meat and potatoes they're getting at home. If I was a youth pastor in Texas, I would have said I'm the Flintstone vitamin to the fried okra and brisket they're getting at home. Okay, and that translates. You got that right? Because you know what? Parents, you're supposed to be the one that are involved in cultivating and helping your children develop. Uh, Yes, we got a superior, awesome youth ministry and we got godly leaders who are investing in our kids and helping them grow and develop. But it is supplemental to what is taking place at home. So you got to take responsibility. And then second of all, you got to treat with sensitivity. Notice what he said. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not do things that just continually just create despondency and anger and frustration in your children. You got to treat your children with sensitivity. I mean, what you're what he's saying is don't be like feeding fires of resentment and rejection in your children. And he says, do not provoke them to anger. Anger is dangerous. Anger contorts your soul. It twists you. And when your children start getting this sense of resentment and regret, it, for, it creates like rebellion. And it's like little seeds that get started. And they're just the only time they hear from you is when you're critical of them and you're and you're harsh and you're mean and, and maybe even cruel. You'd never do that to anybody else. But somehow you feel like it's OK with your kids. No, it's not. These are God's children. He wants you to not provoke them for anger. And by the way, kids, don't like, whoa, whoa, I'm glad I'm here today. Well, I remember when my my daddy made me angry. I'm going to bring that to his attention there. Listen, you are called to honor your parents, right? Parents, you don't want to set up a pattern where you're just just driving your kids into the ground. By the way, kids, let me just make home life real easy for you. Honor, respect, love and follow your parents. Obey them. You're going to have a wonderful home life and you're going to make your, your parents job much easier. And someday you'll really appreciate what I'm saying. But you know what? Parents, we don't want to be provoking our children for anger. We got to treat them with sensitivity. And then he says, but what are you supposed to do? Notice what he said. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You train them for maturity. That word, bring them up is the word nourish. 
You provide for them physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. You are pouring in. You want to help your kids grow. You can help your plants grow. You feed them. You water them. You, have, you, work, you do the same with your animals. You want to do this. You want to do far more for your kids. You want them to grow and mature. And you're the primary agent that makes sure that happens. So that's what you do. You focus on their minds, their morals, their gifts, their talents, their spiritual abilities. You want to bring them up in the discipline. That's training and instruction. That has the idea of reminding them, teaching them. It's what you see takes place in the book of Proverbs where a father is pleading with his son. Go this way. Follow this way. Watch out for these things and correcting him when he does wrong and painting pictures saying, listen, you don't want to go the way of the immoral woman. She leaves the people destitute and dead in her path. Why does he do that? Because he loves his kid. You bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I don't want you to miss the of the Lord part. Because as believers in Christ, we see all of life involved, relating to, centered on Jesus Christ. He's the God of the universe. This is how life was designed to work. We experience that in our own life and we help try to shape it and train it in the lives of our children. And we are focused on heart transformation, not behavioral modification. You can treat you can train a monkey to do certain things. That is not the goal of parenting that you can get your kids to jump up and and sit down when you want them to. You're after their heart. You want their heart in love with God. And experiencing that kind of love and depth and sincerity and integrity that they can involve themselves as others. So that's what we're doing. We are focused on heart transformation. So now you're saying, man, that's good. And I want to do that. But I need something really practical. Can you just kind of tell me, like, how do you create an environment like that in your home? What, what needs to take place? Because I'm all ears now. I've got lots of failures, a few successes. But I'm here. And this is my moment. I want to grow. Can you tell me, what is it that could create that kind of culture in my home? Well, Lewis does a great job of giving a real practical plan. He actually just spells this out real clearly. He tells you things that your son and your daughter, they, they, need, to, they need in their life. He kind of breaks it down into four categories. First one he begins with, he says, this, this is dad's game plan. They, first of all, they need to see something. They need to see dad loving mom. This is huge. You want to know the greatest gift? That you can give your kids. And it isn't something called we. Okay. The greatest gift you can give your kids. Is to show that you love your spouse. See parents in many respects make the children. And you and that's what you want to do. You want to show them that love is real. And what it really looks like. It's a commitment. Yes there's feelings but feelings come and go. But there is a deep seated commitment. And there's a coming around each and every day where there's a true love. And this is this is the problem. You know, guys, and we and we, we want to be successful and we, we get some pretty serious demands at work. And so what we do is like, oh, man, I want to provide for my family and I want my family to have nice things and I have to be able to live in a house and stuff. So I'm going to work really hard. And you pour everything you've got into your job, man. And it is it becomes almost 24 seven. And the idea is like, man. My family, my wife, my kids, they're going to see how hard I'm working, how much I love them and these great sacrifices that I'm making for them. Or, or you see it on the flip side, maybe the, the wife and she's like, oh, man, I'm going I'm to pour everything into my kids, you know, and, and what's going to happen is my husband will see how much I love him because how much I love our children. And that's all nice, but this just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. The family never picks up like, oh, 
Dad's working all the time. Hence, he loves me. It never equates that way. Or mom's just focused on the kids. And the husband goes, oh, man, she really loves me. Uh -uh." He's like, what happened? You want to give a gift to your children they'll never forget and will continue to give them lasting lessons? Love your spouse. You've got you to gotta foster that relationship. You've got to take time just to pray as a couple with each other. Enjoy each other. Love each other. Just spend time just talking, enjoying relationship. I mean, I'll tell you, the happiest and best adjusted kids I've ever seen come from homes where there is a strong marriage. Because in many respects, the marriage builds the child. And so that's the greatest gift you could ever give your child is to love your spouse. And, you know, guys, when you take your wife out on a date, you probably want to do that sometime in December. Just ask her, hey, how are we doing? How are we doing? And if you're here and you're a single parent, just remember this. We never parent alone. Jesus said, I'm always with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. I'll fill the gaps. Trust me. I'm with you. Let me give you something else that Lewis highlights that kids need to see. They need to see dad's character. They need to see that your words match your deeds. You do what you say. In other words, they need to see that you are a person of integrity. Do you know what uh, the, the one word that no dad ever wants to ever hear their kids say about them is that you are a fake. You've got a little bit of rhetoric, but you've got no reality. You see, your, your kids, they need to see your character. They need to see that you're the real deal. They also need to see your heart. They need to see that, that you have an opportunity to, to share feelings and, and your dreams and perhaps even regrets and, and where you're going in life. And, and what you're doing as a dad is you're cultivating a family friendship. I mean, you enjoy your kids and you, and you just share your heart. I mean, think of the relationships that you really enjoy. I mean, it's got everything from laughter and fun to some serious moments, some sad times, but you're in there together. Perhaps you have to extend forgiveness. You want to create the exact same kind of relationship with your kids. And so that's what they need to see. They need to see dad loving mom, dad's character, dad's heart. Lewis also says there's things they need to hear. They need to hear like these words. Your kids. I love you. Your kids need to hear that. Some of us came from homes. We never heard that. And and it takes a while to learn how to understand what it means to love people. And Christ can create that in your life. But friends, it's supposed to get started at home. Man, I don't think there's too much better things you can do than pray with your kids right before you go to bed and say, listen, daddy loves you. I love you. I love you. You can't say it enough. Try it. You are not going to be able to say it enough. When they go off drifting off to sleep, those words, I love you, going through their heart and their head. That's going to start developing some pretty strong emotional stability in their life. Let me give you another phrase that Lewis says kids need to hear. I'm proud of you. I am proud of you. You identify character traits. You see them doing things or, or walking with God or, or making sacrifices. And you look for little things. And you just say, you know, I am proud of you for doing that. Man, I'll tell you what. That is just a character-shaping event in their life. They're going to remember that long after you forgot that. But you, you give those words like, I am proud of you for doing this or this particular accomplishment. You worked really hard, and look how that turned out. Honey, I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. And let me give you another thing that Lewis says. They need to hear from their parents that you are good at, and then you just point out things that you're good at, like pointing out their skills or their gifts that they have or successes of any magnitude. You're good at 
Your kids need to know that. And you need to you need to realize that your parenting changes over time. You know, there's for a first like 12, 13 years, it's really a lot of coaching. OK, and those first five years is a lot of just correction. OK, but it's there's a lot of coaching. But when they move into those teenage years, you're not only coaching, but you're also serving as a cheerleader. You're pulling for them. You're in their corner. You're, they know that, man, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me because my mom and my dad, they love me. They care for me. They're pulling for me. They need to know that. And it's really interesting. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a scene that takes place. You'll be familiar with it. While, while he was still speaking, there was that bright cloud that overshadowed them. And there was this loud voice that came out from heaven, and it said this. This is my beloved son. What is that saying? I love you. In whom I am well pleased. I am proud of him. Listen to him. He's the one. I mean, even the Heavenly Father with the Son of God, they demonstrate these very same things they need to hear. Our kids need this, need to hear what they're doing right, just not what they're doing wrong. Let me give you some other things that Lewis says. You know, they also need to receive something from you. They need to receive affirming encouragement like, you can do it, that you're in their corner, that you're pulling for them. They need, they need life instruction. I mean, where are they going to figure these things out? They figure life out, like how to treat people, how to work things, how to fix things, how to do simple chores, how to do complex tasks, how to stay with a task. They learn all of this from who? They learn it from their parents. And so you give them life instruction. They need to know what manhood and womanhood looks like. Who's going to show them? You are. You're it. Where do I get started? We get started right here. And there's one other thing that he says they need to receive. They need to receive Jesus in their life. Because life doesn't work apart from Christ. And wherever God brought us to a point of brokenness where we realize, I need him. I am, a, I am broken. I am a sinner. I need a savior. I need life. Your kids need Christ in their life. And they need to know what real, authentic faith looks like. That you can enjoy God. You can appreciate life. The wonders of his creation. One of the best things you can do is just pray with your kids. I mean, you, healthy relationships, there's a lot of talking, Right? Healthy relationship with God. There's a lot of talking. You know, you can pray with your kids before you put them to bed. You can pray before you eat. But think of some other times you can pray with them. I've, I've had folks, dads tell me, I, you know, I pray with my kids when I'm taking them to school. Or, you know, you can pray with your kids before practice or after the game. You can just thank God at any time. Maybe just some special times as a family, like Thanksgiving. Communicating on authentic faith in Christ is so important. And then he says there's some things that your kids need to experience. They need to experience some special one-on-one times with dad and, and making family memories. You know, making memories, taking a few trips, some family times, a vacation, some traditions. What happens is your family develops its own folklore of like, oh, you remember that happened? We had the flat tire in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, it becomes part of your family. Why with my family? I mean, I hear the same stories over and over and over again. But you know what? They are always fun. They are part of our tradition. They're crazy, but they're a part of our tradition. And it reminds me where I came from, but it's just part of being a family. Your kids need to to have these kind of special times. And they also need to have, Lewis says, some manhood or womanhood ceremonies. Things that kind of mark that they're on their journey. This past couple years, my wife and I took our oldest two, and we have done passport to purity with them. So Karina took Ashley, I took Austin. And we we went away and and took a, a trip, had some fun things. And we had some great discussions on some real issues of what does it mean to be a man or what it means to be a woman and how do we really truly relate to the opposite sex in an honorable way. Friends, what I'm telling you is that these are the blocks 
that make for strong families. And what makes for strong families makes for good leaders. And it is never too late to be a dad. You know, maybe, guys, let's be real. Maybe you are getting an F for really good reasons. Maybe you need to just apologize. Say, you know what? I'm sorry. I've got my priorities a little mixed up. Or or maybe you need to say, I am sorry I divorced your mom. I I, I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. Wherever you're at, God's grace is sufficient. Love covers a multitude of sins. Go and work the plan. You connect with God and you connect with your children. Let us not see the amazing power of God as we engage our kids. But, friends, I want you to know that you are responsible to receive and to raise and to release your children. God has given them to you. And that's what we do. We, we want to raise our kids with, with Christ-centered convictions. We all need the gospel of grace. Not just our kids. We do. We're sinners saved by grace. We have a relationship with Christ. He's our everything. We believe in the, the scriptures are essential to life, that we believe they're true. We believe that we need spiritual strength for life. We can't go do parenting on our own. If anything shouldn't bring you to your knees, it's parenting. Okay? And we need spiritual strength to do it well. I find that as I'm developing as a parent, I'm spending more time praying for me and my attitudes than I am even now for my children. Because I realize, you know what? A lot of this has to do with Grant more than it has to do with them. And God's bringing about a sanctifying work in my life. Praise God. Let me tell you some other things more about raising your kids. You do it with continual communication. You just relate to them. You talk with them. You enjoy them. Uh, one of the things is go- you can know that things are going well when you can laugh together. There's joy in your family. You can experience fun. But you communicate on a wide variety of subjects, anything from the simple and the mundane to the most significant, deep spiritual truths. But you want to be talking with them, investing them. And let me tell you, very few kids take the initiative. You got to take the initiative. I've had so many conversations where like, man, I'm going to think about every question I can think of. You know, I mean, they, they not they just don't get it yet. We're working on that. Uh, how do you, you actually to have a good relationship? You have to ask questions and give questions and answers and more answers than just yes. No, not sure. OK, but you work on it. But you have to take the initiative. You're the big boy or the big girl in this situation. So you continually communicate with them. You talk with them about everything about life. You see things, you observe things. You're always talking with them. And by the way, when your kids hit teenage stage, this is not the time to withdraw. They need you involved. You taking initiative to talk about serious issues like sexuality and manhood and womanhood and peer pressure and all the major issues that you face in life. Mom and dad, that's you. They need you. They're probably not going to be saying, hey, can we talk about these things? Can we set up a time on your schedule? Uh Uh-uh. you got to take the initiative. Let me tell you. Far more important than their IQ is their emotional quotient. Emotional stability is far more a greater predictor of success in life than intelligence. We want our kids grounded. How are you going to do that? You just keep talking. You smile, you keep loving them, and you keep talking. You know, another thing you need to do, you need to be consistent in your correction with them. Okay? When... You need to train your children to discern good from evil. 
You need them to understand what it means to submit to your authority, because you know what's taking place. If your kids can learn to submit to you as the authority that God's placed in their life, they probably are going to be able to learn how to submit to their heavenly father and to do so with joy. There's three things you just you just don't let slide. Disrespect, dishonesty and disobedience. And so you correct them and and listen, friends, you got young kids at home. If you will win these battles and you will stay on top of this for the first five years, that 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 curve goes significantly lower and your children become a great blessing when you lay the foundation and you're very involved in those very early years. And make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Not everything's a 10. Don't turn everything into a federal case. Okay, All right. Be reasonable and rational under the spirit's control and do it with love. And when you, you know, basically follow this policy, policy, say what you mean and mean what you say. Only use the word no when you really mean it. And if you mean it, you better be prepared to enforce it. But you use consistent correction. And finally, there's just compelling compassion. Your kids need to know that you love them. They need to see it. They need to feel it. They need to hear it. Because, you know, we not only receive our kids, we raise them. We are to release them. We release them in the world as fully functional adults. You know, that process of releasing starts really early. I mean, think of it. You know, when you first bring home the baby, and I had a little baby that we had some friends up from Austin. I had this brand new baby. The baby does nothing. Cry and breathe, right? And you can can set it down, and it can't even move. But then remember, then one day the baby rolls over. And then then remember, they take that crawl. Remember that first step, you know, as a disaster. You know, from a very early age, you're just releasing them where they're starting to learn how to become independent. And it goes through the seasons of life and they learn how to feed themselves. And then pretty soon they're walking to school and, and they have friends and they can play on a sports team. And maybe they, they uh, actually they're, they're growing and developing and they come to a point in their life where maybe they're off to the workforce or off to college and they're considering dating. And they, and they actually get married and they, they actually get a good job and they're functioning. You see, we're all in the process of releasing. It starts really young. But friends, it's inevitable. They will leave our home. And the question is, what are they going to leave with? Leave, let them leave their, your home as people who are walking with God, who are complete in Christ. You move from coaching to cheerleading. I find that the best parents, what happens is when these kids are in 22, 24 and move on, this role changes where they actually, not only they're a cheerleader, but they become a consultant. Because their kids feel realize, whoa, mom and dad, a lot more going than I thought they did. And like, hey, what do you think I should do about this? But there's a bedrock of relationship there that was established in those early years. And so that's what you do. We need spiritual strength for this. But just so you don't forget who your number one disciples are, God put their last name on them. So you don't have to think too hard to think, where are my primary investments? Where do they need to lie? You know, and the reason we're spending so much time on this is because leaders in the home that grow and develop can become strong and significant leaders in the church. Because after all, leadership in the church has matured through relationships at home. And everything you need to know about church leadership, really you learn from family leadership. How to long-term faithfulness, how to invest, how to enjoy people, how to develop relationships, how to correct, how to extend forgiveness, how to challenge people to grow, maturity, develop, because the church is just one big family. And so if you can learn how to do it in your small family, probably can do pretty be pretty successful here in a larger church friends let's pray lord i want to thank you for your word it's absolute clarity 
how you give us a vision for godliness. And you've also you've given us your Holy Spirit who is beckoning us, calling us, shaping our convictions, empowering us, all of our frailties and our weaknesses. They are not an excuse, but Lord, they are an opportunity for us to see you do much through we who are simple, broken, and just in need of your grace. So Lord, would you give us a vision for godliness in our home? I pray for the parents that are here that that the words that have been spoken and the text that we have been look, that we have looked at that you would shape all of our lives. Would you develop us and mature us? Help us to make the most of the opportunity to realize that it is never too late. And so, Lord, we look to you. We ask for your your saving hand and your goodness in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.